Hi, I'm Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. Is that even legal? I am your special guest host, David Williams. And on this podcast, we like to answer the question, what's legal? I'm your special guest host today, and I'm actually interviewing your regular host, Bob Sewell. Um, A little about me, I'm a commercial litigator, and I'm a partner of Bob's at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. And like I said in the beginning, this is a series of role reversal. I'm your host, and Bob is the guest. So Bob, how does that feel? It feels weird. I mean, uh, it's easier in some ways to be the host and let the let the guests do all the talking than to do the talking. And so, yeah, it feels a little weird, but I'm excited. Good, good. Well, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. So because Bob is modest, let me tell you a little about him. Bob's a litigation attorney at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. He focuses his practice on litigation matters involving probate and trust and real estate disputes and some typical commercial litigation matters that involve um, estate estate disputes. Um, His experience involves cases in both federal, state, and administrative settings. Um, I've seen Bob in action. He's resolved multiple disputes for multiple happy clients through all sorts of different means, through mediation, arbitration, as well as bench and jury trials. So you could not have a better person to talk to you about the very issues that we're going to discuss today, because that is something that is very near and dear to Bob's heart. So let me sort of segue into our discussion today, Bob. So uh, last year, I had a, a a close family member who passed away without an estate plan. And we dealt with all of the issues of trying to figure out where that family member's earthly possessions go um, and how we dealt with paying their debts and things like that without a will. And we, we tried to guess, really, and the court helped us figure out what that person's, what my family member's stuff went. But you also sometimes see people who die without an estate plan, and they try to kind of do it on their own, where maybe they write out their will on a napkin or a piece of paper, and they think that that is good enough to help guide their family members on what happens to their stuff when that person passes away. So I guess my question to you, Bob, is, is that even legal? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, technically it's legal to do a will like that. It's called a holographic will. Let me back up, though, a little bit. I remember you going through that, Dave. I mean, you're a personal friend of mine. I helped you through some of that stuff that you were going through. Uh, it was challenging. I mean, the pressure that was on you to try to figure out what to do, um, when when the plan wasn't in place and and i know a lot of people you're not alone that go through that and it's challenging and so yeah it is possible to draft a holographic will you could scrawl it out on a, a napkin a piece of paper basically a holographic will is a will that someone has written entirely in their own hand. Um, 
And Arizona and a lot of other states allow you to do this. It's sort of an interesting fact that the f- whether or not you can dispose of your estate by a holographic will or a typewritten will by an attorney, that is a privilege in the government's eyes. It's a privilege that they give you for how you can you know, basically get rid of your estate to your children. The government tells you how to do it, and if you don't dot all the I's and cross all the T's, you're going to go into the government's plan. And so a lot of people don't like that, but yeah, it's technically possible to do a holographic will. Aretha Franklin, a year or two ago, she passed away, famously had three holographic wills. And since that time, her sins have been in extensive litigation over it. I mean, if you could imagine, there's going to be conflicting uh, provisions in each of these wills. Does one will invalidate the other will? Or, invi- or the third will invalidate this first or the second will? And what happens when you have those conflicting provisions? All that comes to life when you die. And if you just haven't planned these holographic wills can be challenging me, but yes, draft a holographic will, do so at your own peril. So let me ask you, Bob, you used the example of Aretha Franklin, but have you seen any other unusual holographic wills in your practice? Yes, yeah. I saw a holographic will that in my practice that was just mind boggling. Um, the the person who died at the at the time she drafted the will she was pregnant um she was having her first child everything was going along relatively fine with that with that uh, pregnancy but yet in her in her will she predicts she foretells prophesies however you want to say it her death and what she wants to do with the particular asset on her death. And I mean, you could imagine you're viewing this document after she died. She predicted exactly what was going to happen, that she was going to die in childbirth and her child was going to live on. And if that happened, she had decided that a certain asset was going to be devised in a, in a certain way. And man, that created some issues. But yes, I've seen that. I saw a will once. It was actually written in three different colors of ink. And it had three different type prints. Like it looked like three different people wrote the will. And when I brought it to an expert, I'm like, this can't be right. And the expert agreed with me. This didn't look like it was the same person drafting it. In fact, what he said was, he says, either this will was written by three different people or it was the same person written in three different consciousness. And I I mean, it was so clearly not in his own handwriting, but when he asked the widow, she says, oh, he wrote the entire thing. And of course it was entirely in her favor, but it, I mean, it, it created massive problems. We obviously challenged that will and were successful in getting 
the widow to back off whether or not that was a valid will uh, and in a settlement. Now, and I've seen other holographic wills and that the wills amend trusts and they amend the will and they do all sorts of other things. And then you, you're left with all sorts of problems at the end of whether or not the will was valid and what it was trying to accomplish. But yeah, I've seen a lot of holographic wills. So let me ask you this, Bob, and this is just sort of a, a thought that comes to my mind. Because um, you you're involved in probate litigation, right? Yes. What is litigation? Okay, so litigation is when two parties cannot uh, resolve their differences outside of court. And so they go to court, they file lawsuits, or one files a lawsuit and one defends the lawsuit, and they resolve their differences inside of court. So it's just using the courts to resolve your differences. So in the, in the case like with Aretha Franklin or some of these other holographic wills, these are actually people taking these, these holographic wills to the court and asking the court to help them figure out what the, the decedent, the person who died, wanted with their stuff and they're paying lawyers and they're spending money and they're involved in a fight over the estate. Is that basically what's happening here? That's exactly what's happening. And, and you have to do it. Because if you have a will and not everyone's agreeing as to its terms or one will is more favorable on one term than another will, you're going to end up with people who disagree about what, they're, what Aretha Franklin's trying to do. So it's absolutely you know, required that you go to court. If you, the parties cannot resolve it, then they go to court and they ask the court to define the terms. And when someone owns an estate or has an estate worth millions of dollars, like a famous celebrity like this, I mean, she's going to have a library of music that generates income for, you know, decades and decades. I mean, this was the queen of soul. She's going to have income that lasts for years. And you so know, it, it seems like that might even be a reason to have a lawyer help you on the front end. Um, and maybe I'm kind of forecasting to the, the, to the punchline here, but it seems like that's a really good reason to spend a little money with an attorney on the front end to help you put your thoughts in writing in a way that where everybody knows what you want, you're not trying to guess, and then you avoid having to go to court and pay lawyers to figure out what and have your family members fighting over your stuff. It seems like that's a really good way to maybe spend a little money on the front end to avoid having your family members spend a lot of money on the back end fighting over who gets your stuff. Yeah. It's one of those cases where an ounce of prevention equals a pound of cure. Um, but that's exactly right. When you have just totally messed up your estate through terrible estate planning, you will end up with lots of litigation fees and your money is going to be spent on attorneys, which I appreciate, but you won't, and neither will your family. And so I strongly encourage people, take some time to do some estate planning. You know, it's important to note, if you don't do it, if you die without a will, you die without an estate, the government will decide where your money goes. It, it's not like the money just disappears into oblivion if you don't have a will. The government has a plan for you. And like every plan, 
by the government. It's probably not what you really want. I, I remember reading um, in the paper, I'm a music fan, I love Prince. And I remember reading in the paper about how Prince, um, or the artist formerly known as Prince, who changed his name back to Prince, <laughs> who right. died, you know, he passed away without a will. And, and what's happening there? Is that an example of what you were talking about a minute ago, that if you die without a will, the government's going to have to figure it out? Yeah, that's exactly what is going on. I mean, the government has a plan for Prince on how his estate is going to be disposed of. But think about that for a second. You know, there are few artists as, you know, you as powerful in, in the mind that will survive time as Prince. His music will last for decades to come. People will be copying his styles, copying his music, you know, doing it over and over again. This estate is going to last for a long, long time. And who now decides who's going to manage it? The courts will. Who's going to decide where the money goes? The government does. That's, you know, and it's not some arbitrary way that how the government decides where the money goes. They have a system in place. But but for someone like Prince, who has possibly a complicated life, going to be That's a, a hard problem to solve. Um, hey, Bob, one other question I was thinking of is when you deal with not only in a litigate, when you have family members who are going to court to fight over some of the, the person that passed away stuff and how that stuff should be divided. Um, I'm, a, you know, lawyers obviously get make money in that and the families pay attorneys. But have you ever seen situations where there's fa- where there's damage that's actually been done to the family members because of the fighting that's involved in that? You mean emotional damage? Yeah, or? it just seems to make sense that, that that a family unit would be harmed and maybe scarred or people are going to be left hurt when you're having to go to court and pay lawyers to fight over that kind of stuff. Oh, Dave, you have no idea. I mean, well, you do have an idea because you're an attorney, you're a litigator. But yeah, I mean, I had multiple, there's, you know, I have two clients that come to mind when I think about that sort of thing. Um, One client within a year and a half period had three loved ones die, like family members die within a year and a half. And this client managed the estate. And of course, no one had a plan. And and some of the deaths were prolonged. And the amount of emotional turmoil that that caused my client, she, she just was a wreck. She lost her job. I mean, it was incredibly difficult on her just to try to manage this. I mean, it was tragic. And I have an, another client, uh, a, a family member died and then two good friends who he had, he was asked to manage the, their estates. And, you know, it was tragic on him. He, he started seeing a counselor. I mean, um, it, it, it was just absolutely tragic. And, he struggled at work, um, but when we once we got through both of these situations, they were able to start feeling feeling good again. And um, but yeah. yeah, it is immensely difficult on the family so it, when you have 
a dispute and you're you're trying to grieve the loss of your loved one and you have a dispute about the estate. It's it's terrible. So it seems like what you're telling us so far is by not having some planning on the front end, if you die without a, a proper estate plan in place, whether it's you try to write something on a napkin or you die without anything in place, it seems that and maybe I'm putting maybe to put a summary on it, that you're gonna if you die without a will, the government's gonna divide up your stuff according to what the law says. Right. Or the family members are going to pay lawyers and they're going to go to court and they're going to fight about it. And they, and number three is not only besides paying lawyers, you're going to be dealing with reliving the trauma of your loved one's passing because you're still constantly, you can't close the door on that because you're still fighting over their stuff. Um, so what are some of the things that, that, that a person who's in this position, who's trying to be forward thinking needs to have, in place to avoid some of these problems. I'm assuming that there's some basic things that they can do. Can you help guide us through that? Yeah. Okay. There are some basic, basic documents that everyone should have. Everyone. If you don't have these documents, contact an attorney, get these documents drafted up. You can find these documents at attorney's offices for not too much money and they don't have to be complicated, but the first one is a will. A will tells someone where you want your property to go when you die. So if you want your house to go to your wife and you want your motorcycle to go to your kids, don't just say that's what you want to happen. Don't you know, call a family meeting and say it. Make it happen in a will because at a family meeting, if I say, uh, honey, I want you to get the house. And then I say to my kids, kids, I want you to have my 60 foot yacht. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, literally, it doesn't matter if I said that, if I don't have a will, everyone could agree to that, that that's what I said. And then the court will promptly ignore what I said and do what was in the will or lack thereof. The next document you need is a durable and general power of attorney. Now, what is that document? What does that do for me if I have that set up? So this helps manage your business affairs, your bank accounts, your real estate, your businesses. If you have dementia or you cannot, for whatever reason, take care of any of your business affairs, a durable and general power of attorney will take care of it. This document, I can't emphasize enough how important it is because if you don't have this document, what you end up getting if you need someone to manage your affairs is a conservatorship. That means an attorney like me go down, goes down to the court and says, appoint Frank to manage the business life of Bob Sewell or whoever. So, so like if a situation like that would be is let's say I get old, let's say I'm involved in an accident and I have maybe a traumatic brain injury. I'm only in my mid forties, but let's say I have an, an, a catastrophic accident where I'm still alive, but my, I don't have the mental capacity to run my affairs, pay my bills, make decisions for my kids. Is that what a durable power of attorney will help with in that sense? That's going to that will help you with regard to all that information, paying the bills, 
uh, managing your business affairs, taking care of your bank account, setting up that uh, social security disability, all that stuff is handled by your durable power of attorney. That's the person who gets it all started. And the, the conservator is incredibly expensive. And then your entire life is exposed to the court system and they require really expensive accountings every year. And it's incredibly cumbersome. The money that is spent dealing with the court system is frankly outrageous. So the durable power, the, the durable power of attorney and the general power of attorney basically exists sort of like they, they, they're the will except for when I'm living, but I can't make my own decisions. Right. Okay. So what are the, some of the other documents? Cause I've heard of like, I've heard of these other two things called a healthcare power of attorney and a living will. What are those and how do those help me? A healthcare power of attorney helps people manage their healthcare affairs if you're not able to do so. So, so if I'm unconscious or I have dementia, I want someone, someone I trust to make those medical decisions for me. And without that healthcare power of attorney, then the court appoints someone who the court thinks would do a good job at making my medical decisions. Well, so it's not always the right person. So let me give you an example. So let's say I'm going in for a medical procedure and something goes bad during a medical procedure and I end up uh, on a ventilator and I can't express my, my desires, what I want to happen if something, something goes wrong if I'm in a hospital or I go in for a surgery. Is that what a healthcare power of attorney is designed to do? is to help me in those situations where I can't speak for myself? In part, that is what the healthcare power of attorney will do. But you're also talking about right now something called a living will. So if if I don't want to have heroic procedures, maybe I just want to die peacefully. I don't want to be on a ventilator. I don't want to be, you know, on a bypass machine or anything like that. If I die, I want to die. I don't want to be artificially kept alive. If that is my wish, I put my wish down in a living will. And then this and then your health care power of attorney at the right time, you know, the doctor will go to your health care power of attorney and say, Is this is this your wish to keep this person on a ventilator? And you say and the health care power of attorney will say, No, it's not his wish. Bob wishes to die peacefully. And so please do not put them on the ventilator. So incredibly important. I have seen people, and, and I mean no disrespect to, to the people that I've seen this way, but if you ask the vast majority of people if they want to be on life support for the rest of their life for years at a time, they will say no. And, and I... And I know there's going to be people out there who disagree with me, and it's fine. You, sh- you shouldn't disagree with me for your own personal life. But the vast majority of people, they want to have that decision to die peacefully without those heroic measures. So without the living will, though, your children are going to have a hard time making that decision. Even if they just have the health care power of attorney, they will have a hard time making that hard decision. Imagine if you're put in that position, it's your parent and you're now being asked, do you turn off the ventilator or do you keep trying? 
So I remember a story a couple of years ago. I think it was the lady in, I think it was Terry Shiva was her name, that lady mm-hmm. in Texas who her husband was the one making the decisions, but the, but the parents disagreed and they all went to court and one was trying to have her taken off a ventilator and the other person was trying to keep her on the ventilator. Um, is that the kind of things that a proper living will and a proper, a proper healthcare power of attorney can avoid? Absolutely. I mean, that story is absolutely tragic. You have, one would hope you have three people who really want the best for the Terry Shivo, I think was her name. Yeah, her name was Terry Shivo. You really, all those three of those people presumably would want the best for the person who is incapacitated. Well, now you have this conf- conflict of opinion and it needs to be resolved in the courts and all your dirty laundry is coming out. And man, that's got to be tough. Mentally, you know, your, those parents probably felt like they had to do what they did. And the, the husband probably felt the exact same way. And so you're duking it out in the court when a very inexpensive document and a conversation uh, with your attorney could resolve that conflict and save hundreds of thousands of dollars on litigation fees and possibly years of suffering. So Bob, so we've talked about um, a will, a general, uh, a durable power of attorney, a health care power of attorney, and a living will. Um, and I understand that those are sort of the four basic estate planning documents that you want to have. Am I correct on that? Yeah, those are the basic documents you want to have. There's some other documents you want to look at too. Um, you should p- look at a trust possibly that helps you avoid probate. There's some advantages to the trust that you want to discuss with an attorney. Um, it's, it's not absolutely necessary to have a trust, but man, a trust can make your life a lot easier and is highly recommended for most people. So let me throw you another curveball. What about those situations where like my wife and I, we have two young kids and something happens to both of us. Um, how can I plan ahead to take care of my kids? Are there certain documents that I might need to, to address that? Absolutely. You're going to need a trust. I know you personally, David, you have minor children. You will want to trust and you want to lock up that money that you, the two of you have accumulated for the benefit of your children. You want to lock up that health insurance, a life insurance, excuse me, that you have um, and put it in the um, trust and have someone who you trust and who you know will do a good job raising your kids and spending that money so your kids are well taken care of. I mean, that is one of the most important decisions you can make in an estate plan when you have minor children is who's going to be your trustee. And, and if you have a fund that's significant enough, then where the money's going to go at what time? So if your daughter turns 18, she's not going to be ready for one third of whatever you have. It'll just get blown out of the water. She'll spend it. Why? Because she's 18 and that's what 18 year olds do. They don't know how to spend money yet. So you want to release that money to her over time. Um, So Bob, let me ask you, um, as we're sort of coming to the end of our time together, what do you say to those people who are 
who are maybe nervous about spending money to um, do an estate plan? And I think I think the answer is pretty obvious. But you know, what if you what if you're sitting down with a friend over coffee and that person says, "Boy, you know what? I don't know if I want to spend a lot of money hiring a lawyer to do all this." Um, what would you say to those people? Hmm. Um, I would ask that person if they want to spend it in death, because I think that's the issue. Uh, if you do a little advanced planning, you can save a ton of money for your children. Uh, you could save a ton of money um, for all those loved ones that you want to inherit. So, yeah, I, I suppose you could not look at it and you could ignore it and you could bury your head in the sand. That's fine. But there will be consequences to that. One of the consequences will be that other people decide how to spend your money. I don't like that. I want to decide how I want to spend my money. I want to decide who will be my children's guardians. I want to decide who will take care of my money when my wife and I pass away suddenly, unexpectedly together, and all my life insurance pays out. And, you know, suddenly my children have all this money that they're supposed to last till they, you know, get out of college. I want to decide that. And so, yeah, that's what I would tell that person. So, Bob, um, I really appreciate all the information you've provided us today. It's been very informative. I think um, anybody who's listening to this has a better understanding now of, of why they need to consult with a lawyer up front, why they want to maybe spend some money up front. I think you said, you know, a pound, a pound of preparation is it avoids a bigger problem down the road. Maybe that's not exactly how you said it, but the concept is the same. Um, pound of, pound of uh, uh, an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. There you true, go. True, true. Now, oh, I do want to, I think we did forget to mention our little disclaimer, which is we're talking about general legal issues where you practice, you and I both are, are Arizona attorneys, right? That's right. And so what we're talking about today are general, um, general legal principles um, that have general application across numerous states, but um, this is not legal advice, and you always want to make sure you consult with your own attorney. So, Bob, you have an active litigation, a probate litigation practice, and you help counsel families through this all the time. Um, how do people find you if they want to ask any sort of further questions or follow up with you after we get done with this or this broadcast and they're listening to us today? Absolutely. Call the main line at my law firm. 480-733-6800. Ask for me or my legal assistant, and we'll eventually get back with you. This is, this is challenging times with COVID, so it does take a while to get back to someone. But yeah, and I will, I'll be glad to help you out. Awesome. And Bob, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you for helping us and educating us on this. It's a, it's, it's scary when, when death happens, but it's also a really good opportunity for us to also um, be enlightened and to be prepared. And I really appreciate um, all of your forethought and your, your advice. And, and I'm looking forward to having you back in the host chair and listening to your next podcast. So, Thanks, David. I, all right. I really appreciate it. I mean, this is, it's a good reversal to, uh, to do this. And it was kind of you to be the host. No problem. And, so for everybody in our audience, this is uh, David Williams, guest host for Is That Even Legal? And uh, we look forward to hearing you on our next podcast and tune in. Thanks a lot and thanks for listening in to us today.
Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time. Thank you.